Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 54 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Thyatira. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Good morning. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. I've said it a hundred times, and I'll say it a hundred more. The whole New Testament is basically about the second coming of Christ. And as He comes back to this earth, and now we see ourselves uh, in a church, New Life Church, here on the side of the road on 64, and we're wondering, okay, how do we fit into this Bible? How do we fit into this the schemes that are going on in the churches, and we find ourselves sitting in a church. And there's so many different expressions of people seeking God. And there's something that sets Christianity apart in our seeking of God. And in us seeking God, when we have a born-again experience, we find ourselves different than we were before the experience. When we run into God and encounter Him and His Spirit and the message of Christianity, something happens within us, something changes within us. And it's that change that sets Christianity apart in seeking and serving God. It's that change that sets us apart, makes us different than other religions. Because we know that there is a change that happens in our heart. Now, as we're going into these churches, this change that we have experienced, when people come in that are lost, and they see us in the atmosphere, and they see the joy that we have in our salvation and our relationship with God, as the lost people come in and see us and encounter us, they'll look at us and say, I don't know what they have, but I want it. So in the seven churches, that topic, uh, that experience, that transformation, if you will, that has happened in our lives that lost people actually want when they encounter it is what the enemy is trying to kill. Can you hear me? Yeah. That is what the enemy is trying to kill. He is trying to kill the joy of our salvation. He's trying to kill what sets us apart. And uh, that experience and that born-again experience is something that's within every believer that causes us to get a little excited from time to time. Or we can see someone else encounter the Spirit of God and we'll have a witness within us of joy or a witness that they're encountering God. The enemy to that witness is a critical spirit. Each one of us have that critical spirit within us. I think Robert Murms used to call it that little lawyer within. Isn't that what he used to say, Steve? He said, we all have that little lawyer within that can be very critical, very religious. 
And it's that that the enemy tries to activate. It's that that the enemy tries to use our criticalness in coming against this life that's in Christ. It's, that's a complicated topic, which I'm not going to get into, but being critical, we say, well, Alan, we're supposed to judge. We're supposed to use the Word of God. We're supposed to do all these things. And I will agree with that, totally, 100% agree with that. I revert to that mostly when I'm not really walking in the Spirit real well. That was kind of a joke and kind of not. Maybe uh, if you can hear what I'm saying, we all revert to the Word of God and, I, and we, as we're supposed to. But we'll also revert to the, to the Word of God when we're not walking in the Spirit. Because when we walk within the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God will show us how to talk and act in any given situation. When I have to pull the Word of God to tell me how to act, that's okay. That's legal. That's what we want to do. But what we're after is our reactions to what we're encountering is Christ. I hope you can hear what I'm trying to say. Because the enemy would constantly like to pull us to use just the Word of God. Now, this is a prophetic class, so I'm hoping that I'm a little over prophetic 101 here. You can hear what I'm saying. The enemy wants us to use the Word of God, and I am all for the Word of God. But I'm also all for the Holy Spirit within each person to be able to react in, react in any given situation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, can the Word of God be the power of the Holy Spirit? Of course it can. But hopefully you know what I'm speaking of. And you'll see that as we go into this church, this next two churches. How that they, they were losing that and, and then lost it. That power to react because the Holy Spirit within them reacting to life circumstances and situations, then it's the, that reaction of them walking in the Spirit that caused a supernatural happening. Now, I'm not saying the Word of God doesn't create supernatural happenings. It does. But I'm here telling you that in this world that we live, Life is moving much faster than you stopping and pulling out your Bible every five minutes to see how to react. This world is moving fast. It is the idea of the Scripture is the Word of God's within us. When the Word of God's within us, then it takes on a life. It takes on a power. It takes on an excitement. It takes on a persuasion. And it's because the Holy Ghost within us feeds upon the Word of God that's within us and causes us to react in a way, and that reaction is what we call a supernatural happening. That's what that is. It's a supernatural happening. So now keep this in mind as we're going into these next two churches here. I started uh, there uh, one. We started Thyatira last week. And as we're going into it, let's, I want us to see how the enemy is trying to rob us of the power, which is the supernatural power of the Spirit of God. Let's watch it. Now, as we go into these seven churches, we see here that this fourth church, of course, is Thyatira. We began just a little bit of it uh, last week, 
And this also is uh, in the last 2,000 years, we've discovered that the seven churches also in an un, under another level or a uh, another prophetic understanding, we can see that this particular church also covers the way the church acted for a certain period of time. And we see from 500 to 1500 A.D., uh, uh, with the Catholicism uh, supremacy on how the church fell into this Thyatira experience, if you will. It was the prevailing one. Uh, Ashkeroth, the modern name of the ancient uh, city of Thyatira. Uh, in early Christian times, uh, uh, this was home to an influential Christian church. Had a lot of influence. This letter to Thyatira is the long, longest of the letters. This is the church that is in the middle of the seven churches, the fourth church. The emphasis of this letter is, is to the followers that have decided to follow a false prophet called Jezebel. Now, there's a reason for this. There's a reason that the angel, that Jesus said to the angel, he said that they were under the influence of this spirit, Jezebel. Now here we see Thyatira. Of course, we started off with Ephesus, lower left-hand corner, went to Smyrna, 40 miles, Smyrna to Pergamum, about 60 miles, Pergamum to Thyatira, probably about 35, 40 miles. So now we, and we will then go down to Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. But right now we are, you, you can see the, uh, the circuit there of these uh, Seven churches, it almost makes you feel like the Holy Spirit uh, did these in order on purpose. And it could be that that's kind of in the trade route that they were in the scriptures. Um, the church in Thyatira was in trouble. They had allowed a strange prophetess to work her way in, and she had brought division by causing the congregation to compromise. Her message was to mix faith in Christ, now here's the thing, with the immoral sexual practices of the time. Can anybody see that's happening in the churches today? That's the idea. And that's what you say a church is under the influence of a Jezebel spirit. It's trying to be a mixture. And here we see with Jezebel, we can say it's, uh, it is a mixture in the church and immoral sexual practices of the time. But it was also more than that. What I mean by more than that, to mix uh, the sexual practices of the time, you had to mix with it false gods. That's the part we... It's, it's just not bad human behavior. It's bad human behavior because it's worshiping of another god. And that's what bad sexual behavior is. It's the worship of gods. Now the message to Thyatira. In the first century, the message of Christ was revolutionary, uh, especially to the pagan societies and their sexual immorality. Uh, so understand, just picture this. This incredible sexual immorality was going on. And then you have this message of Christ coming into that scene. Sexual immorality, false gods. Then you got this little bunch of clowns, if you will, come bebopping in. 
with a message of Christ and they give that gospel and that gospel changes the hearts of immoral people. Now, can you see why they would call that a revolution? It just completely changed. So the thing about Christianity is, and that's the reason you can't allow the world to come in, is because Christianity, the gospel, is the message to a lost world. If you water down the gospel, it doesn't work. Now, so keep this in mind. It was, it was revolutionary. The gospel, when it invades, is always revolutionary. A revival is always revolutionary. It will change you. It'll change me. It'll change the landscape. You can look at our different countries and at the, de at the different revolutions in government. Christianity, the gospel, is to be revolutionary to the world. If you can get a, get a picture and a contrast of how the gospel is to impact the world that's around us. We should be right much of a spectacle because the gospel works. That's, we got to remember that. The gospel works works. And it just so happens that a lot of us, even in this room, we have, uh, not to offend you at all, but we have all stumbled into Christianity somewhat, a lot of us, in that we found ourselves in the right place at the right time. The Lord sent someone or sent somebody. But there's another thing to be in a revolutionary movement that the gospel of Jesus Christ can impart unto the world. So we know where our country is today. Keep in mind, when the truth of the gospel is going forth, it's revolutionary in nature. So we can test ourselves to see if we are revolutionary enough in which the world we live in and we impact. That's the question. Now, revolutionary, here's what it means. Involving or causing a complete or dramatic change. That's what that word means. And that's what the gospel was doing there to uh, Thyatira, to the church. It was revolutionary. That's the reason they got so upset with the believers. You had a, you had a synagogue and then you had Paul or some of the, John or somebody came through teaching preaching the gospel, and a handful gets saved, and then that handful goes through these huge cities. These are big cities. They go through preaching the gospel to a backdrop of immorality, sexual immorality, pagan gods, and the gospel works. They're not persuading their minds. The gospel works. There's a supernatural element to the gospel is what I want you to not let loose of. Because we can get convinced that it's not supernatural anymore. We need to sit down with somebody and talk them into Christianity or make them feel bad enough that they cry. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the supernatural message that needs no help. It just needs to be spoken.
is supernatural within itself. Now, let's watch this. I want to show this little trailer here. You can go ahead and start it. This is the movie that's uh, going around this day and time. His house is a very good find. I'm sure that perhaps, how many have seen that movie, Jesus Revolution? About half of us, maybe. It's definitely worth your time. Carrie Estes and I went Saturday night in Wilkesboro. It's definitely a good, it's worth your time to go. It's more than worth your time to go. But it's so timely on how this movie has come out now. We've had a a spiritual awakening that started at Asbury again. Now it is spreading. We can sit around and wait for it to die off. Or we can fan the flame and be part of the fire. This movie coming out when it did, if we're not careful, it's just going to pass us by. Well, that was nice. That was good. We're not, if we're not careful, we won't catch the fire of revival that God's trying to send our way with Asbury, with this movie. There's several other things happening, you know. God's been doing this for several years now. Todd Smith and the, the baptismal revival down in Georgia. And there's just uh, little outpourings all over. The Lord, if we... Continue to sit here and say, God, touch me if you can. This visitation from the Holy Spirit is going to pass us by. You say, well, Alan, what can I do about it? Well, number one, we've got to realize the spiritual condition that we're in. You can say, well, Alan, I'm pretty happy with where I am. That's the first bad sign right there. Satisfied with where you are. 
That just tells me you haven't been in a crisis in the last three months. That's all that means. Because life gives us these crises that we have to have the presence and the power of God in our lives just to survive. But I'm saying God is pouring out once again, giving us all an opportunity to move beyond where we are. In the seven churches, the key element that the enemy's after is to rob believers of the supernaturalness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just not healing of the body. The greatest supernatural part of the gospel is there's something down in you that almost wants to cry when you hear the name of Jesus. Or there's something down in you that sees someone come up to the front to be prayed for. You do cry because you have a witness. Jesus is doing something in that heart. What the enemy's after is to keep God's people from being excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we get into more of the churches, we'll finally end up in Laodicea. And you can start seeing the progression of what the enemy's trying to do to believers in these seven churches. You say, well, Alan, I can't stay excited all the time. I've got to work and... I've got to do this and I've got to do that. The only thing I am saying is there isn't an excitement in the gospel and with our born-again experience that can sustain us to a point of contentment and happiness no matter where we are. And the enemy's constantly trying to rob us of that supernatural power. The container that contains the supernaturalness of the gospel, that container is the joy of our salvation. It's the joy of our salvation. When lost people come in that door, it's that witness of people. Something's in us. In that movie, Jesus Revolution, they named it Jesus Revolution because that was a revolution. It changed things, changed America, really. I didn't even know it was going on at that time. I was a little farm boy in North Carolina. But did you know the worship songs that you sing today came out of that movement? That style of worship? Anybody ever hear of the group called Love Song? They were, they were the, the band, the group that played uh, during that era. They were the worship band, if you will, of Calvary Chapel in the beginning days on the beach. They were the worship band. They were doing a, a new style of worship. Not to say we don't love the old hymns. We do. But that music reached them. That music has influenced the music you see today at Bethel, at Hillsong. All of that came out of the Jesus Revolution. That's where it came from. So it's obvious that God was wanting to impart, expand, if you will, the way to worship Him in different styles of music. There again, I don't know how to get around this. The gospel of Jesus Christ in its simplicity is a supernatural message 
that will bring revolution to any heart, any church, any county. This church could be a place, an environment of a constant revolution in the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So every time we come through these doors, we're coming with the expectancy of a revolution of the gospel. I'm going to be changed today, and all of us in here are going to be changed. And it's not a head knowledge, it's a heart expectation. Can anybody hear what the Lord's saying to the churches? It's that hard expectation. And you say, well, Alan, I've had a hard two weeks. I know, I understand it, I get it. I've had a hard two weeks. I can't pay my power bill. I don't know if I can buy groceries. I got this diagnosis. I've gotten that diagnosis. It should be, God let it be, that if all of us as we're going through these different crises and challenges of life, could it be to come through these doors, be the highlight of our week because of our great anticipation that the power of the gospel can change where I am in life today. Yes, it's for others, but it's also for us. There again, what carries this thing is your enthusiasm and your excitement. I'm not saying this to be man-made. When you test yourself, see where your level of excitement and enthusiasm is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Test yourself. That's what these seven churches are saying, if I'd hush and get into it. That's what he's saying. Test yourself. And you say, well, Alan, I don't know how I lost it. Well, the only thing I can tell you is that same Holy Spirit will show you and tell you how you lost it. And he'll show you and tell you how you can regain it. Are you with me? You know the story of the ten virgins. Five had oil in their lamps and five didn't. The five that didn't, you've got to understand, probably had oil at one time because they had a lamp. But the oil ran out. Giving us the spiritual understanding that we need a constant filling of oil in our lamps so that we'll be ready when he comes. So we'll have enough enthusiasm and enough spiritual insight to have enough sense to know he's here. What I'm saying, Asbury, all of those outpourings of worship, Jesus Revolution, movie, timely, what I'm telling you is God is offering us an outpouring encounter that we might put more oil in our lamps. That, I promise you. That, I promise you. Has anybody got an oil lamp? You ever turned it up high? You still got one? My wife collects them. I think we got 30. There's oil lamps burning in my house almost daily. At night, I'll sit on the back porch and eat, and I light a little lamp. All the lights are off. You can sit there and you can run that light up high and it'll make a lot of light. But the more light you make, the more oil you burn. Did you know that? Now, I can save the oil. I can turn that light down real low. 
The only thing I can tell you, if you still got plenty of oil, you're not shining bright enough. Can anybody hear what the Lord says to the churches? This is a true spiritual phenomenon. We're to burn oil. If you, the spiritual path of being filled with the Spirit is you burn your light, your wick, as high as you can burn it. It's the passing through of the Holy Spirit through your spirit that creates the joy, that creates the faith. A slow wick, slow movement through you of the Holy Spirit. You can slow it down so slow you'll almost wonder if he's even there. So, I had one, several guys, people, I've, I've helped pastors who have fallen and I've had 50 pastors to one. I'm honest with you. When they fall and ask me to come in, I'll talk to them. We'll pray and do some things. If I know that they've repented, I put them in the pulpit the next Sunday. You say, well, Alan, they need to sit out for a while. I've learned something. The faster the oil flows through you, the greater the encounter you have with His Spirit. Go ahead. Yes. That's right. That's good, James. That's right. That's, and it act, not only that, it'll accumulate. The spiritual lesson to learn is that we allow it to flow through us. What keeps it from flowing through us is a critical spirit. A religious spirit will stop the flow. Can somebody hear what I'm trying to say? We'll see this in these seven churches. So you say, Alan, I want to feel more of his spirit, more of his presence. We can do this. That is very fixable. If you want to feel more of his presence, and I was saying about the pastors, I'll put them back in the pulpit. Get more criticism from everybody that you've ever seen. I'll put them in the pulpit and I'll preach them. If I can, I've preached some that have fallen, restored them up to three times in a week. Because I know the more I preach them, the more that that gift flows and the oil flows that there's healing comes to them. That's right. I'm just being very honest with you. Well, a preacher's no different than you. A preacher's no different than me. It's all about the flow of the Spirit. You've heard the teachings and the talks of the river of God as a river coming out of God. It's about the flow of the Spirit. Now, church, we're in the middle of God giving everybody an opportunity to capture this wave of a revol spiritual revolution taking place among us. We need to understand we're in need. Our soul is speaking to us and saying, I hope this hurry is hurries up and gets over so we can get back to normal. You ever seen anybody get born again? 
I was in the, in the back with Jeff years ago, and this guy got born again. He came to this church, and he died of COVID. Y'all know who I'm talking about. He used to come up here and dance. I saw him get born again. He was in Satan worship. The Holy Ghost filled his heart. He run around that church. I don't know how long he run, right? I'm talking about inside. He went outside a lap or two, too, and he come back inside. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Sounded like a freight train blowing a whistle. He was so excited. I've maybe told you the story. I had one of the deacons come to me and say, Alan, we need to set him down. I said, I ain't touching him. <laughs> I'm not touching him. If you want to set him down, grab him. I said, here's what I told him. I said, but you better get two or three because that boy ain't coming down. He had been set so free. He had such a joy, such an enthusiasm. And this particular individual, as long as they ran in the joy of the Lord, they were great. When they got all of a sudden got real religious, I wouldn't give you a nickel for him. Because he could be just as critical as he was joyous. Can anybody hear what I'm trying to say? Now, Alan, get on with it. Jesus Revolution. <laughs> These next two churches is talking about this. Thyatira was the smallest of the seven churches, estimated to be twenty-five to 30,000. Thyatira was what we call a blue-collar, hard-working uh, city. Uh, it, it was a full of labor guilds, uh, they were called. Uh, so they are association of craftsmen, merchants, often having considerable uh, power. We would call them labor unions even today. Uh, but you had to be a member of these guilds there in Thyatira. There was found a list of registered guilds in Thyatira, one of the longest ones ever. Uh, the guilds in the city included leather workers, wool workers, weavers, bakers, tailors, uh, dyers, candle makers, cobblers, potters, bronze smiths, blacksmiths, slave merchants, dyers of purple. And we'll look at that a little more. We talked about it last week, stone cutters. For a city the size of Thyatira, that list was very long and the jobs were of these hard workers. Now, in Acts 16, this is where I left off last week, we had Lydia as follows. A certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, one who, was worship, who worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened to listen to the things which were spoken by Paul. So we know she was a Gentile, but yet she was a follower of God, probably of a Judaizer. But then she heard Paul, and he gave her a message of the grace of God. While in Philippi, Paul and Silas stayed with a woman named Lydia from Thyatira who continued to help them even after they were jailed and released. Now, I, we read this scripture last week, and this is where we stop. But here we see uh, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of part of Macedonia and a colony. We're going back into Acts here to explain a little bit about Lydia. Uh, a colony, we were in the city abiding certain days, and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the woman which uh, resorted thither. And certain woman named Lydia of seller purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things that were spoken of Paul. Now, do you see that where it says, whose heart the Lord opened? Now, that is a spiritual transaction. Did you know you could be sitting here 
and the door of your heart be closed. Would it, there's one thing to open the door of your heart, that's nice. But would it not be nice with the Lord just open the door of our heart and say, listen, I want you to hear me. Would it be that your relationship with God was so obvious, it was so daily, that God would go and come into your heart as He pleased? He did not leave it up to you to let Him in. He opened the door and walked in. And it says, And when he, she was baptized and heard her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And so we can see that the Apostle Paul there with his group uh, stayed with her. Now something happened between verses 15 and 40. All right, I read you through 15 there. And verse 40 it says, And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. So something happened between 15 and 40. They went out from the house. Then they got imprisoned. And when they got let out of prison, they went back to her house. Well, what happened, and you know the story about the demoniac where they were let out. They started casting out. Paul actually, it kind of appears, got a little aggravated at this demon and just went up over and cast the demon out. And uh, so this activity, there again, Paul was revolutionary to Philippi. He was going around casting out demons. Now, I understand evidently there's not as many demons today as there was then because we don't cast out many. Y'all yeah. act like you didn't believe that statement. Could it be? There's demons cast out in these services and you don't even know what's happening. It's also with the gospel of Christ that we need to be available to cast out a demon. It's always a, just some good side advice here I give to people who want to cast out demons. Be sure the demon's out of you before you go to casting and blasting. And I'm not kidding. Because if you're not, you might gain one instead of lose one. And I've got some stories behind the reason I say that. But nonetheless, the church and the world we're living in today, Paul went around casting out demons like he was chewing chewing gum. Why? Because the gospel of Christ was that real to him. They were used to the Lord walking in and out of their hearts as he called them to walk. The question is, when the Lord says to you, now, Steve, go over to this person, I want you to pray for him. He's like, he don't even know who they are. Where does that voice come from? Yeah, I mean, you need to be excited when the Holy Ghost speaks to you. And I'm telling you why. The Holy Ghost, when He speaks to you, is taking the liberty to open the door of your heart and walk in and talk to you. You weren't even expecting it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You said, oh, no, I just, the Lord's speaking to you. Well, understand the spiritual transaction. The Holy Spirit's taking liberty to open the door of your heart and walk in. I say glory, hallelujah. I say praise God. But your relationship can be as such that the Holy Spirit doesn't feel like it has that liberty. Matter of fact, we can have the door locked on the other side. 
And what causes that, of course, is our relationship to sin. Now it says in verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed uh, with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her uh, masters much gain by soothsaying, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And that same hour it says here that the spirit came out. So that's what they were doing. They got thrown in jail for it. And then they came out of jail and went back and stayed with Lydia. And this is probably Lydia lived and worked in Philippi, dealing in textiles colored with purple dye, for which the reason she was from was famous, Thyatira. So this is the church of Thyatira. Lydia comes out of Thyatira to Philippi. But she goes there selling this purple uh, cloth. Now watch this. Her wealth allowed her to live independently. In a spacious house, she was also a religious seeker. So she was selling purple linen, which was the most high, it was the highest price linen that you could buy. That's the reason royalty bought it. Keep that in mind, highest price. It was made out of seashells. There were certain seashells that had just, it took one seashell about this big to make one drop of purple dye. That's not amazing. Though she was a Gentile by birth, Lydia worshipped the God of the Jews. When Paul saw her, she was with a group of devout women who gathered to pray at a place by the river just outside the city. Lydia was the first in that community to believe in Jesus Christ, the first Christian convert on the European continent. That's the reason that was. she went from Judaism to getting the complete message of the gospel of Christ. A newly baptized Christian, Lydia, extended the invitation to Paul and Silas and other co-workers to come and stay at her home, having a place to stay free uh, them to preach and to minister without working at other jobs. Uh, Lydia's home became the place where the congregation that developed in Philippi gathered for worship and for fellowship. Lydia was the opposite of Jezebel. Now, as we're getting into this church here of Thyatira, there was a problem with Jezebel and this spirit. We're going to look at it quickly. There are very few ruins of Thyatira. Here you can see a few of them. There's very few because the city today is basically on top of it, and there were very few ruins saved. You can see the city around this little block here of, of, of the ruins of Thyatira. The new city is technically built on top of that. Uh, there you can see, you can see in the background there, modern uh, buildings next to these ruins here in Thyatira. So we don't have as many ruins, but here is one of the main ruins. Now, this was an interesting ruin, especially when you come to this scripture. Now, this is called an oracle temple. Now, I want you to consider something here. An oracle temple. Now, you said, now, this, you had this, had this uh, uh, prophetess Jezebel. But here we see you got an oracle temple. Now watch this. Thyatira had a Jewish prophetess that operated at Sybil Shrine by the name of Sembath. Sybil Shrines. Now watch this. Sybil uh, Shrines were like minor lead oracles and dealt in pagan witchcraft. Sambath was a demonic component of the Roman labor system and the many uh, guilds that not only powered the local labor force, but also would be steeped in pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. 
So here you can see Rome used these guilds as they came together. They had pagan gods of these guilds, and there was something else happening. We see here in the scripture, it says, Unto the angel of the church Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, which that's a pretty good record, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Pretty good pedigree there, but it says you got a few things going on here. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her to a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into a great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Now, it's easy to think that's somebody else. We want to be sure it's not us. Because this is a letter to the church. Now watch this. Here we have an obvious reference to Sembath, the uh, Sybil Oracle. So you see that he speaks about Jezebel, but Jezebel comes out in different forms and fashions here in Thyatira. And I want to show you that when he's, when he's referring to that. This points to the guilt feast of pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. as would have been widely available in the city of Thyatira. So this city of Thyatira, of course, was known for all of this. It's blue collar, had all of this leather working, uh, linen making, brass make, everything you could think of that these guilds, you, you basically had to be a member of a guild so you could market your product. Are you with me? The independents didn't have much of a chance. But he also points to these feasts. He says here, that you have eaten things sacrificed to idols. And he's speaking to the church. Well, how did this happen? And it says that I'm going to cast her into a bed. All right, that, that bed is interesting to me. The actual reference in the Greek to, the word, uh, to this word is klein, where we get the word recliner, which is the same word used to re reference a guild couch. This is where sexual immorality happens at a guild feast. So you see, you have to all go home and sell your recliners. That was a joke. It, it was a joke, but it's not a joke in that it's the, you've heard of the casting couch. You've heard of that terminology in Hollywood. That's what it is. It's the same thing. It, but it actually was a recliner. And, and, and a recliner was the same thing as the casting couch. That's where we get that word from, uh, that bed word there. It comes from the word Greek word klein, where we get recliner from. And we can see here that uh, in Thyatira, that this was called the casting couch. Now, there's a little more to this. In the ancient world, the best restaurants were at pagan temples. The food there was the first offered to a pagan god or goddesses. The trade unions would have their famous meetings there. See, does that make sense? So you got these gods, goddesses, having these this parties, if you will. And they're having these parties. They're, they're sacrificing all of this stuff to these idols. Well, then they take that sacrifice off. They got a famous restaurant. And you eat the meat that was sacrificed to idols when you have your guild parties. Oh, yeah, we'll meet you over here at, the, at this goddess. No, yeah, we're going to meet down at this goddess. Now, there's a re does everybody kind of follow? It really gets a little sick. 
there were two groups in Thyatira. It appears the larger group was the one that chose to follow Jezebel. I want you to see the linkage here. The smaller group was the remnant of believers that were not persuaded and stayed true to the Lord. So you had these two groups. Jezebel was combining pagan and Christian behavior in the church by encouraging Christians involvement in these pagan rituals. You say, well, how did these Christians get involved in the pagan ritual? Because they were members of the guild. You had to go to these meetings, which ate at these pagan temples. Now, she was encouraging Christians, craftsmen, to compromise their faith for financial security and stability. Making sense, isn't it? The tension is between the followers of the Lamb and the followers of the beast of Revelation. Who was Jezebel? So we want to see this thing creeps in easier, quicker than we think. The question in Thyatira, the question in Sardis, where we're going to next, the question always, now please hear me, the question, is who's Jezebel, but here's the other question. Who's leading the churches? If you can hear me, there again, I couldn't push it enough. There's a book. Who's in charge here? You might think this is a simple little something was done to pass the time. It's not. What this means, who's in charge here, is a, a reflection of the seven churches. Their problem was man became in charge and Jesus wasn't. Our goal at this church is that Jesus is in charge here. Can anybody hear what I'm saying? Yeah. It's the truth. I'm not making this stuff up. Even to the point we got it in a book, Dr. Craig put it together. It's 95% scripture. That's the reason we don't really give him credit for writing it. We do give him credit for putting it together, even though he did write some of it. Incredible book because, not saying the book's perfect, the scripture in it is. But our goal is who is in charge in new life? We understand you got fivefold ministry and you got different positions in the church. We recognize all of that. But we understand something, and that is we're wanting Jesus Christ in charge here. Very important. Now, as I get into next week, I would love for you to hear it because I'm going to be talking to you about and how the churches, the people, lost their enthusiasm for the gospel, lost their excitement for the gospel. If you're interested, come listen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we do love you and we thank you for today. Thank you for the power of your word. Lord, you know our deal. If there's anything I've said is not, not of you, I pray it fall to the ground. If anything that I've said is of you, I pray that it be quickened to our hearts and to our spirits. Lord Jesus, come into this place is our prayer. Come into our hearts, open the door and walk straight in. Give us revelation of your heart in this lost world we're in. Let us shine bright. Let us shine with power. Let us walk in your presence. Help us, Lord God, to worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.